Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, uh, Emerging Importance of Telemedicine, Telehealth Appointments in Communicating with Your Healthcare Team. This is such an important topic. It's something that um, is being practiced a great deal now, um, particularly throughout the pandemic um, that we've going through with COVID-19. Um, and it also it was used a little bit before as well, but you're going to hear more about this from our speakers and how invaluable it is to all of you. This is a, such an important topic. Um, and also, uh, I'd like to let you know that um, we have uh, collaborated with a number of cancer organizations, and because of that collaboration and your interest in this topic, um, we have over 251 participants on the program today. You come from both rural, urban, and suburban areas, and we also have international participants from uh, Canada, Oman, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom, so a bit of a global call as well. And today's program is uh, supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pharmacyclix LLC and AbbVie Company and Janssen Biotech Inc. administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs LLC and I really want to thank them for their support to this program. Now before I introduce the first speaker, I'm going to ask you just a set of a few questions um, just to get a sense of what you know about these topics before the program starts. It helps us in planning future programs. I'm going to start with the first question, and I thank you for participating in, in these questions. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. And the question is, I understand the emerging role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments in the context of COVID-19. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the second question is, I know how to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, I know who to include in these appointments. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And just two questions left. Um, I, and I, the next question is, I know how other chronic illnesses may impact cancer treatments and how to reduce harmful drug interactions. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the, this is the last question now. Next question is, I know the needed technology and how to work with the doctor's office to set up needed technology before the appointment. One is the highest rating, five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps us to better understand um, what you know about these topics before we go into the program. And now we're going to start, and I'm going to introduce our first speaker. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor of Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong is going to address an overview of your healthcare team. Who are the members of your healthcare team? The importance of communication, the emerging role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments in the context of COVID-19, 
discussing your treatment options, including clinical trials, and managing side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you very much, Dr. Mesner. It's uh, my pleasure and honor to be able to speak to you today and, to, and, in fact, to go in front of Dr. Fleischman and Ms. Flynn, who you will hear later, and are excellent speakers. Um, today is a new day in uh, medicine. With the advent of COVID-19, what it's really done is push what was happening beforehand into the limelight. We had been doing some telemedicine, televisits before, but with COVID-19 and the need for social distancing and for protection uh, of our most vulnerable patients, we really have uh, pushed and pulled uh, telemedicine and video visits, televisits to the forefront, such that in my own practice, about a third of the visits are of this type. And in some surveys and in some practices, over half of the visits are remote as we speak. So this is becoming a very, very important thing. I think the first thing I want to address is the how to do it. My mother is 88, and uh, you know she, I bought her an iPad, uh, and for the first time she's learning things uh, having to do with um, the operating system in Apple and so on and so forth. And just to say these words, it's frightening to many people. And how does it work? We are increasingly using uh, devices to help you look at your medical record, you to to make appointments, to change appointments, and it is in that context that we also link to our patients. The most important thing is that they realize is that every practice as they do this is, is also in, uh, involving or integrating methods to, uh, to, to help patients do this. So for instance, uh, here at MD Anderson, we, in my practice, we actually have someone call the patients beforehand who are on the telemedicine list and have them go through some of the things uh, technically that have to happen. Uh, one of the things I'm going to talk about as well is clinical trials, and in fact, we now do all the consenting process remotely, and so the outreach person will do that. When you do come into the practice, it is a wise idea to bring your device if you, if you are having trouble with it and speak to a live person. Sometimes it's a simple act, and I say this to my own mother, to sometimes know where to push on the screen to make it happen. So she discovered if you, put, if you hit the link with your finger, the Zoom call comes live, for instance. As simple as that. So there's always some methodology to that. And, and, and what does it really mean to do telemedicine visits? We are replacing the face-to-face -face with something which has, in the middle of that, a technological thing. And here it's a device or the telephone. So that means the way we communicate is different. And I tell you, I say this to my patients uh, when they're in the room uh, and their loved ones are on the telephone or I'm doing televisit. I say, I cannot see your face and I cannot read your body language. So please interrupt. I will not be offended because, you know, it's sort of rude to, you know, to sort of blurt into somebody. If I say, this is, I can't, so please do that. I would much rather you interrupt me uh, than let me blabber on. And, you know, doctors hate silence. Uh, someone once put a stopwatch on us and said that there's less than five seconds of silence before the, the doctor cuts in. So be aware that we're, <laughs> we're just programmed that way. So I, uh, you should not be ever embarrassed to sort of, find ways to communicate with it, uh, so, uh, 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 up front. I told patients that uh, it's very important to write things down. If you have questions, you know, uh, uh, have it written down. I encourage them to do that. Sometimes I'll ask if we go through your list. Sometimes I'll say, uh, you, know, is, you know, tell me you're number one in the list sometimes. That's very important because it also speaks to something else that Dr. Mesner mentioned in this program, which is you know, managing side effects, symptoms, and discomfort. And I tell folks uh, uh, and my patients, I tell them, you're the boss. You're the boss of this interaction. I don't have a CAT scan for pain. I don't have a blood test for, for, things like, for, for pain. I rely on you to tell me. I learned a very hard lesson uh, several years ago. We did a survey to look at how patients perceive symptoms. And, uh, and much to my shock, uh, I found out that patients would trade three months of life if they longer they don't have nausea vomiting. They hated it that, that much, that they'd rather live less time on this earth than have nausea vomiting. That really told me that this is an important symptom. And again, it's not something that I have a blood test for, a scan for. Uh, I can't do an x-ray of that. It's something you tell us. So it's so important. And so this is something which is really problematic. I can't see your face. I can't see your body language. So you have to say, doctor, this nausea vomiting really is, uh, you know, upsetting me or or this pain is, is really terrible. You have to start with that and give it a sense of it. 
And so we lose something in the, the technology, uh, uh, but uh, it, the onus is upon uh, uh, us as a team to get this together. And I, again, I'll say to you, you are the boss of that interaction. Right? We depend on you to do that. And again, to remind you how, how doctors love to go on. Now, who is the person you talk to? Who's a member of your team? Of course, a doctor leads a team, but we now have extenders, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistant, um, who, uh, for the most part, can handle the problems that come through. And they're much faster uh, than, than I am, for instance, because they, they're, they, uh, they, they are primarily responsible for running, that pra for the running my practice. So they have their finger on the pulse. So these are people you can also reach out to, and almost certainly they're easier to get than the doctor. Through no fault of our own, we're running around doing other things, uh, including administrative things and making sure the clinic runs. And so sometimes the patient care aspect is very quickly handled by a nurse. So I, I tell my whole team, which is my nurse, my nurse practitioner, my physician assistant, they have uh, the full power to, to do what they need to do, look after you, and to de delegate upwards. What does that mean for you is that somehow the primary maneuvers you put in, you spoke to the mid-level practitioner, and somehow it's not being solved, you have the right to say, listen, can I speak to the doctor, right? And again, we can't see your face, and we can't see your body language. You have to ask for these things. So, uh, and there's no such thing as an embarrassing question. I tell all my patients, no one ever died of embarrassment uh, when they do this. So again, you're the boss of that. Something's really happened as well with technology, which is very important. You now have the ability to see all your lab results, the, the CAT scans, and so on and so forth. That's increasingly uh, 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 rapid as it, uh, as it gets through to the, our patients unfiltered. What it means is, is that I don't get to see it before you get to see it. We see it together at the same time. So another thing that's important is to actually ask about the things that concern you. Says, Doctor, what does this mean in the CAT scan? It's just important. And, and sort of get a sense of, of what's going on. It's very difficult, difficult to read these uh, reports, and uh, uh, it's a bit like asking me to read a financial spreadsheet, which I cannot do. Right? I know it's important, but I can't do it. That's not one of my skill sets. And, and so why should we expect you to be able to read these reports unfettered and unhelped? And that's one of the things that you should also look into. So technology helps you, but provides you with a lot of things that you cannot really uh, understand through no fault of your own. It's just very technical. So which comes to one of the other things. When should you not have a uh, uh, televisit? I think the things that we can't measure right, you know, the pain, the discomfort, so on and so forth, very important to sometimes uh, have a face-to-face -face about that. I, for one, try to schedule in-person visits whenever we have evaluation scans or things like that. As an oncologist, these are very important. But also for me, because we'll see things in a scan which requires us to interpret it with you standing there, right? I'll tell people that scans and things like that are just pictures, but they don't tell us how well things work. I can, you, I can take the picture of your car, but I can't tell you if that thing starts, how the brakes work, and what gas mileage you get, right? But I just know it's a picture. So very important to have sometimes a person in front of us to, to see how things are going, right? I remind medical students, there's no, there's no x-ray for asthma, right? It is a symptom you have. Doctor, I can't breathe. I'm having trouble. There's no, you, you can't see that on an x-ray. So again, these are things important in visit, right? And, and finally, there are things that you want to talk to your doctors about, and sometimes they require face-to-face, -face. very personal things, things about relationships, things about things, how things are going on. So I have just talked about technical things, and, but these are things that have to do with how, how things are going in your life sometimes require a face-to-face. -face. You, you should ask for these things uh, if necessary. And, and another thing is some, I do skin cancer, for instance. And, you know, the worst thing you can say to me is, doctor, I have a rash, which drives me crazy because I need to see it, feel it, look at it, press on it. So for really difficult things like that, please ask for an in-person visit. Or even better with technology, take a picture, which helps us a lot as things evolve. Finally, as we get to the end of my time with you, I want to talk about clinical trials. These are uh, mechanisms for us to be able to use new treatments, new medications, new strategies on patients. We cannot just open up the cupboard and say, try this. We have to do it in a systematic way. And because of that, we have to do it in a clinical trial setting. So these are things that we're doing increasingly by remote. We're doing our consenting process by remote. 
But again, I tell you, at any time if things don't make sense to you, that's where you sort of raise your hand and say, listen, this is not making sense. Explain to me. Or like I say, explain to me like I'm a five-year-old, which is what I say to my staff sometimes. So as I close up my time with you, I want to emphasize the most important thing here, which is uh, how communication is the crux of what I've just talked to you about. It is a centerpiece. And telehealth is just a mechanism. It's a way to make this happen. Anytime we communicate, it is an interaction between two people or two sets of people. And so that's never perfect. So, uh, and so you know, our best efforts are used to try to make it better. And we solicit your opinion in these, uh, in these calls. I always ask them what works for you. I'll end by saying you, know, you are the boss of that interaction, so please be proactive in doing so. Uh, I just, this is the end of my time, and I'll, uh, I'll leave the floor to my colleagues, uh, Dr. Fleischman and Ms. Flynn, and turn the microphone back to Dr. Megner. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Wong. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful setting the stage for the program today and um, really covered a lot of very important topics, which I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director Cancer Support Services, uh, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing tips to improve communication with your healthcare team, preparing for telehealth, telemedicine appointments. Do you have the needed technology working with your doctor's office to set up needed technology before your appointment? Who to include in these appointments, family members, partner, long-distance caregivers, and then also determining three key questions at the start of your appointment, so a prepared list of questions. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Yes, thank you, Dr. Messner, and hello, everybody. Um, Dr. Wong gave a, a very good introduction and a lot of good information about um, how we're trying to manage uh, your care during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, it's been difficult for your providers, too. I, I can say that, you know, in medical school and in our training, we weren't really taught about how to provide care over the phone and through video. And um, we're learning uh, along the way about how to do it. We, we know how to provide the care, but uh, how to include you, as Dr. Wong emphasized, and your family in these interactions is something that we were not experienced to do. And with all about a year under our belts, I think we're getting better at it. So my job today is to really go into some of the nuts and bolts of how to prepare to use telehealth um, the best. So first, uh, the, the first question is how will you and your provider uh, be communicating? It could be on a regular telephone, on an old-fashioned landline. It could be on a, a cell phone. It may be on a tablet like an iPad, but there are certainly other, um, other products from other companies that work the same way. Or it may be on a laptop or desktop computer. And uh, obviously the telephone, there's just audio interchange only. On the tablet, um, you can see each other. Sometimes the quality is good. Sometimes it's not. Most of the time these days, um, it's a lot better than it used to be. And then if your laptop or a desktop has a camera built into the screen, as many of the newer ones do, or someone has added a camera for you, you'll be able to actually speak and see each other, which is um, a big help. And ha knowing the kind of, of uh, equipment you have is really important because when it comes time to set up telehealth visit, generally um, somebody from the provider's office will be connecting to you um, generally by telephone, perhaps by email, um, perhaps by text message, but in a way to, to confirm the time and the date. Uh, time is very important, especially if you're uh, provider is in a different time zone or you have family members who are signing in to be on the call with you instead of traveling and being in the office with you signing into the call at your request, um, making sure that uh, there's an adjustment for time zone if necessary. So um, the, the, the way this is set up 
it really is based upon the equipment you have available and the system that your provider will use. Some providers will use a hospital-based system that has telehealth built into it. Often those are systems where you can access some of the information in your records, in your chart. There are uh, different um, setups based upon different companies who produce these things for our major medical centers. Sometimes um, it, it will just be in a direct video link um, with something called FaceTime on Apple products. Um, I am unfamiliar with all of the brand names, but the other types of cell phones um, or smart cell phones that have internet connections will also have a video uh, access that you can use. Um, and before the pandemic, these were really not used much at all, except in a very, um, very rare exception because the confidentiality and privacy was not assured. Um, those rules had to be relaxed as the pandemic started because we needed to be able to access um, the uh, patients and providers needed to access each other without uh, with less of a concern about privacy and confidentiality. The ones that are built into the provider's medical record system where you can also check your records seem to be the most secure. Um, so the office will uh, will uh, make sure that you have the, the right equipment to get into their system. If not, then the telephone is the default, is the backup. And um, one of the things that you need to do is to have a quiet place so that you and the provider can speak to each other, especially as Dr. Wang says, if you need to take a picture of something, you want to do that in a place that is quiet and private. Um, another thing you need to do is um, have a paper and a pencil. And one of the best things to do, just like in an in-person visit, is to really think about the questions that you have before the visit. Write those down. Have them on a piece of paper with you, not on the screen, because it's hard to be able to look at two things on the screen at the same time. Um, the, uh, it's important to know if the office will call you at a certain time, be it on the telephone, uh, or they will send you a, an email or a text message with what's called a link, which is generally uh, some printed instructions in a different color type that's, that are underlined. And if you click on those, then you, may, you, you will be able to enter and initiate the call. Each of the systems is different. There is no uniformity um, between the systems, and that's why it's kind of hard to generalize about all this. Um, if you're unsure about how to operate this, please, day before or two days before, speak to someone in the provider's office. Um, they understand that we're all new to all of this, and they will help you with a, like a test drive, you know, with a, a dry run of uh, connecting if necessary so that you and the provider will know that at the right time, you and whoever, whichever family members or friends you want to be on the call will be present. Um, as far as who to include, the who is uh, up to you. <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, few advantages that we have found during these telehealth visits is that a family member or a close friend who you want to be part of your care who lives in another city or another country perhaps can participate in the call as long as they have the same technology and all the information to sign on. It's very helpful to have someone else on these calls, just as it is to have someone else in the office with you um, when you go for an in-person visit. They can listen with um, an ear that is not worried about what the next question will be. They can even take notes for you. Um, and you have someone who you can discuss things with after, afterwards if you are um, about to make a, a, an important decision about care. So this is maybe one of the small bright lights in the pandemic about to be, being able to really um, involve your family members and friends who don't live close by or the ones who live close by who are working and will be able to take a few minutes 
um, off their job to participate in the call, but would not be able to take off all of the travel time and all of the waiting time and and everything to be able to participate in your care. So who to include um, is helpful. If you have a healthcare agent, someone who um, you have decided should make decisions about your care, if you're unable, that's a natural person to include, but not always. That's up to you. As far as uh, getting the questions together, I, I think the content of those really depends upon the situation, um, where you are in care, if it's the very beginning, if you're just finding out about um, cancer and the treatment plan, there'll be more than three questions. You'll have a lot of questions. Um, and then uh, during the middle, a lot of the questions may have to do with side effects that you're getting or managing, let's say nausea or skin changes or fatigue or uh, a number of things that come, can come with, uh, after, with chemotherapy or radiation therapy. And afterwards, many of the questions may be about, you know, how you get back to yourself, how you regain your strength, um, the kinds of things you need to be eating, the exercises that you need to be doing. Another possible advantage of the telehealth visits is you may be able to have an easier visit to some of the specialists who you would not normally have very quick access to, like the physical therapist who understands cancer rehabilitation or the genetic counselor or a social worker who's in another building um, at the facility where you're being treated um, the or, or the nutritionist. And the, this is also a, one of the um, advantages of dealing in a remote system that we would not have in person. So I hope that's helpful. I, I realize that each situation is a little bit different and the circumstances about signing on and the technology will be different. But if you feel that you have the, the, uh, the idea to test drive it beforehand, I think that would be very helpful. I, I'm sure there'll be questions about this and I'll turn it over to Dr. Mesner again. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding. And uh, the concept of a test drive is really a, a neatly coined term to actually give a run-through with the healthcare team is something that some people don't do and then run into difficulties that morning and the, that afternoon. And then it, you know, takes each up time during your appointment. So it's just as well to do it all ahead of time. So thank you. It's excellent. So I'm sure there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is... Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and treatment and translational science, clinical care, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health, clinical research center. Ms. Flynn is going to be addressing, discussing, discussion of adherence, taking your treatment on schedule, how other chronic illnesses may impact your cancer treatment, reducing harmful interactions, your follow-up appointments, um, care and questions between telehealth, telemedicine appointments, who, who to connect evenings, who to contact evenings, weekends, and holidays with their contact information, and before balancing your quality of life with your healthcare needs. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Oh, thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on today's call. And thank you to all of our cancer patients and caregivers for also being on today's call. Um, we're here to, to help you, so I really hope that um, at the end of my presentation, you'll have some great questions to ask us. So I'm going to first um, start talking about uh, treatment, um, keeping your treatment on schedule. So medication adherence, we sometimes call it medication compliance, basically means taking your pills or your treatment at the time it is scheduled and the way that it's ordered. So for example, if you have a medication that um, your prescriber ordered at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., it means that you're taking that pill or that treatment at approximately 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. every day that it's ordered. Um, it can also mean how you're taking that medication. So if it is a medication you have to take on an empty stomach, that you wait two hours before consuming a meal after taking your medication. So I have a couple of quick tips for you um, regarding your keeping your treatment on schedule. And the first thing is to ask your healthcare provider 
what should I do if I miss a dose of my medication? And unfortunately, there isn't a universal answer for all cancer treatments. Um, So it's important you ask your provider for each medication what you should do, because there might be something different to do if it's two hours late versus if it's 12 hours late or if you missed an entire um, day or two of that medication. So it's important to know um, and ask ahead of time, you know, we're all human and we can, you know, accidentally forget to take a dose of a medication, what you should do if that occurs. And then next, I want to look at want you to look at your entire medication schedule. So write down all of the pills that you're taking, all the treatments, and what time that you are scheduled to take those. And really think about, does that fit into my lifestyle? So are you more of a morning person or more of a night person? So for me, I'm a morning person, and I treat a lot of young bone marrow transplant patients um, who are more night owls. So if I wrote up a treatment plan and had them taking a medication at 7 a.m. in the morning, they would never take it. But if I schedule it for noontime, I have a much more um, higher likelihood that they're going to take that medication um, at that time because that's they're getting up around 11 because they're 11 a.m. because they're staying up until probably 3 a.m. sometimes. So if I can adjust that treatment schedule, I know that um, there's a greater likelihood that they're going to take those medications and stay on that schedule. Next, you want to look at that medication list and um, think about how many pills are you taking um, and do you know which each pill is treating. So sometimes I have patients come to me and their medications are in a baggie and they say, here are all the pills that I'm taking. I take four white pills, a blue pill, and two pink pills. And I say, okay, um, do you know what you're taking these medications for? And sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes they can tell me maybe what one of the pills is treating maybe their, their high blood pressure or their high cholesterol, but they're not exactly sure. So it's really important that you match up each of those pills to why you're taking it. And on your medication list, I also ask all of my patients to include all of the medications that they're taking. So not just the ones um, that I might prescribe them for their cancer treatment, but are they taking any vitamins? Are they taking any medications over the counter, maybe a cough syrup or something for a headache? Um, Are there any herbal supplements that they're taking? And um, it's really important that they write all those down so that I can look and take it to the pharmacist to see if there's a potential um, interaction between any of the prescriptions that I might be prescribing them with their current medications that they're taking. And so um, I also have my patients look at the size of their pills or tablets. And um, if I know there's going to be a particularly large pill, so sometimes potassium pills are a little bit larger than some of my patients can swallow, um, I want them to look at that pill and honestly tell me if they're able to swallow a pill that big or if we need to switch it to something that's maybe in a liquid form or in a powder form. That's really important to sticking on schedule with their medications. And to just let the team know that if they are struggling with a particular pill, does it does it taste bad? Does it um, maybe give you nausea or some other side effects? And so you might be hesitant to take that pill. I want to know about that um, so that, you know, maybe there's some different strategies that we have um, for them taking that particular medication. Like I said, maybe there's a liquid form, a powder form. Maybe taking it with a particular food will help mask the taste of that particular medication. And we also know that how you're feeling about your cancer can influence keeping your your treatment um, on schedule. So do you believe that this medication or this combination of medications are helping you? Hopefully the answer is yes. But sometimes the answer is, uh, I'm not sure or no. Um, It can be very difficult to take a lot of pills during the day or be going through a treatment if you have questions about the goals of your treatment or how the treatment is helping you. So if you have questions, please, please talk to your healthcare providers about that. And so I'm going to move on next to how chronic illnesses may impact your cancer treatment. 
So in addition to keeping a list of all of your medications, it's helpful to have a list of any illnesses or chronic conditions that you have, such as high blood pressure, asthma, psoriasis, diabetes, and to bring that list with you each time you have a medical appointment. Um, for some of my patients, they've been living with those conditions um, for a very long time, and so they forget to bring them up when they see a new provider. And so it's helpful to have that ongoing list either on your phone or on a piece of paper that you can bring to um, healthcare appointments. And um, we talked about earlier about those over-the-counter medications, prescription medications, herbal supplements, maybe natural products, that we want to have an ongoing list of those, of everything that you take, so that your healthcare provider can look and see if there are any potential drug interactions there. And so what that might mean is if you're taking a cough syrup that has Tylenol or acetaminophen in it, I wouldn't want to recommend that you take um, more Tylenol. Um, and if, if I did, that might interact with um, your liver um, and have some other consequences. So that we know what all the ingredients of the medications are that you're taking, we can look at the overall picture with the help of the pharmacist to see, are there any things that um, might have an interaction? And so it's very popular now, the CBD oil, oil um, and we know that if that's taken with a blood thinner like warfarin, it may um, cause an interaction. You've probably heard um, grapefruit or Seville or the bitter oranges can affect anti-cancer medications, antibiotics, pain medications, cholesterol medications, many different medications. And so having that list um, available that we can talk to you um, about your medications and then ask you questions about your diet um, and do you consume grapefruit or Seville oranges? Um, there are, we're in the middle of spring here in the United States, and there are spring holidays like Ramadan, Passover, and Easter happening around this time of year. And so I want to bring up that if fasting is part of your celebration, please notify your healthcare team prior to the event. Um, it might not be safe to fast um, while you're receiving certain cancer treatments or for people with certain medical conditions like diabetes. We definitely want to work with you to celebrate your holiday in a safe manner um, that will not co compromise your health. So it may involve just a couple extra questions, but it will help you celebrate in um, a safe manner. And so next, talking about follow-up appointments, care, and questions between um, telehealth and telemedicine um, appointments. Um, and I'm going to review some of the points that Dr. Wong and Dr. Fleshman already brought up um, because they, they are just so important for telehealth and in-person um, appointments. And the first one is to prepare for your appointment by writing down all of your questions. And start with um, what is that question that's most important for you to answer. Um, to take notes um, during that appointment and as Dr. Fleshman said, it's easier if it um, if you're um, on a telehealth appointment and someone who can't be with you um, at that time can join by phone or um, link into the appointment so maybe they could take notes. And it's important with every time that you are on one of those appointments, especially if it's a new provider, that you get their contact information. So ask them, how can I get in contact with you Monday through Friday during regular business hours? And then how, can, how should I contact you if it is during evenings, weekends, or holidays? It might be a different number. So it's important to have both of those numbers. Um, one might be their general office phone number, and the second one might be an answering service or it might be um, one of the nursing units within a hospital or even um, a page operator within a hospital. So it's important to have those numbers so you can get your questions answered no matter the time or day of night. Um, next, 
um, having not only taking notes, but having written information with the patient portal, it's becoming easier to get access to written information um, about what happened during the um, appointment. But I think it's also a great place um, that you could see your lab results and look at the treatment plan. It's nice having everything in one place. So whether you're using the patient portal or you're keeping things in a notebook or on your phone, try and keep it in one place so that's kind of your go-to um, place for information. And um, if you're having trouble understanding what a team member is saying, I know it's hard. I wear um, a lot of times an N95 mask, and then I have a face shield over me for my inpatient appointments, and it's hard to understand what I'm saying. Um, and it's hard for me to hear what some of my patients are saying with masks on. So that's when I say I, I may ask you to repeat things a couple times. I just want to make sure that I'm hearing what you're saying, and so I will repeat back um, what my patients are saying, and I encourage them to do the same thing for me. Tell me the, the, the three things that I just explained to you when you leave here. What's going to happen um, so that we're all on the same page um, communicating together? And so I'm going to um, uh, kind of wrapped up here about um, who to contact for evenings, weekends, and holidays to get their information. I also encourage you um, to get their first and last name. I just had this experience the, the other day. There are multiple Flynn's at NIH, and um, unfortunately, um, they didn't have my first name. So they just kind of guessed, and unfortunately, they, they guessed the wrong uh, Flynn. And so um, when you're getting telephone numbers, um, get their first and last name so that if you have to go through um, a nursing unit or an operator that you're able to give um, all of that information um, to the person on the other side. And um, in addition to your medication list and your um, illness list, you can also add on there your pharmacy name and phone number so that if you need a prescription refill quickly, you have that information um, right there at your fingertips. And so I'm going to end my section by just talking about briefly balancing your quality of life with your health care needs. And so um, one of the big takeaway points is to identify your priorities. Take a step back and identify what things really matter to you right now. What changes do you need to make to focus on these items? Um, is it going to a wedding in six months? Is it, um, you know, getting reaching uh, another milestone like a birthday or an anniversary or maybe a special trip? And write down these priorities. Um, for not only our cancer patients but for our caregivers, we want you to, to take a break, and we want you to take a break frequently. Um, if you're running on empty, you're not taking good care of yourself, and then you're not there to take good care of others who rely on you. So take a break and take it frequently. Um, I'm also going to say to frequently ask for help. Um, no one can beat cancer alone. Um, you will need help. Whether you are um, a cancer patient or a cancer caregiver, please reach out um, to friends, to family, to organizations um, like Cancer Care, like um, oncology social workers, um, medical teams at your institutions. Um, they're there to help you um, identify maybe resources for you, counseling, support groups. There's a whole host of things um, out there um, just waiting for you to pick up the phone or to type on the computer to ask for assistance. Um, we want you to care for yourself with the same rigor and intention that you care for your loved one. And so um, with that, I'm going to turn the program back over to Dr. Messner, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Lynn. That was really outstanding. And also, um, you brought up a lot of issues that are really very practical and very um, important for people to be aware of that I think um, will come up during the Q&A, more questions for you, because it's really uh, an excellent presentation and really getting to some of the um, issues of communication that, are, that occur in institutions that really um, 
are so vitally important to get to the right person um, and to be sure that you're getting your questions answered. So thank you. That's really excellent, uh, excellent piece. I'm sure there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. I'm going to say a few words actually right now about Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Mester. I am Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And Cancer Care is a national organization, 75 years old, and founded in 1944, and we provide a comprehensive array of free services, all provided by oncology social workers. We have increased our social work department. We now have 35 oncology social workers on staff, and they provide a host of services from practical, financial, and copay assistance to a case management, which means we help you to get, if you, if, we, if you need a resource that we don't have or that might be in your community, we will actually literally take you there virtually and be sure that you're connected and get that need met. And if it isn't met, we'll take you somewhere else. So we won't give you a whole list of places that you should call by yourself. We will call with you to be sure you are connected. It's a very important service that we've instituted, particularly during this time, actually. Um, people are having a lot of difficulty often getting the exact needs that they, that they, the things that they really need help with, um, and so that's really been very important. We also offer support, a chance to talk with one of our oncology social workers, and we also offer online support groups, so a chance to really, and those online support groups are for, for both people living with cancer and um, caregivers, young adults, older adults, um, middle-aged adults. It covers the entire uh, lifespan to some extent, and also we do have a program um, in which we are helping um, families who may have children in the family who are uh, helping them to understand cancer in the family, that somebody else may have cancer in the family. And um, we also offer these education workshops as well as a host of publications. So just a thumbnail sketch of all of the different services that we offer. Now, before we move on to the Q&A, we're just going to ask you a few uh, questions um, just to get a sense of now from your experience now on this uh, workshop, um, uh, some of the things that uh, what you may know now, um, and that helps us in planning future programs as well. So I'm going to start with the, this question now. Um, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in the role of telehealth telemedicine appointments in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I am better equipped to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I am more knowledgeable about who to include in these appointments. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And just two more questions to go. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in working with the healthcare team on how other chronic illnesses may impact their cancer treatment harmful drug interactions. And one is the highest rating, and five the lowest rating. And the last question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in knowing of the needed technology and how to work with the doctor's office to set up needed technology before the appointment. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you very much for participating in these questions. It really, again, will help us as we're planning future programs to, to better meet your needs. Really uh, much, very, very helpful that you've all participate in these, in these questions. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So I'm going to um, 
um, ask Norma to explain to you how to queue up for questions, and um, we'll let the questions begin. Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, to ask a question, that's star one. And we have quite a few online questions, so I'll start with those. And this one for Dr. Wong to start with. What is the most appropriate way of contact for questions for my doctor care team between sessions? So that's a great question. And, in fact, I always end my uh, interacting with my patients, especially new patients, by saying something along the lines of, you know, we uh, uh, – prefer to have uh, non-urgent questions come through as a text through our MyChart app. So, right, and for more urgent things, I always say always call, right? So, and of course, if it's an emergency, like, you know, and I define that, you know, the, you know, uncontrolled symptoms or, you know, chest pain or inability to breathe, those are not things that need a phone call. That's near to emergency room or 911. So I try to lay it out to folks. and. and and, uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, this is our system, our office, our setup. I have no expectation that you're going to walk in and know what I do. And I think uh, my colleagues uh, before me uh, talked to that, especially speak to this point, especially Ms. Flynn, who talked about what is the best way to behold you afterwards. Our business card, which every patient gets when they meet me for the first time, has an after-hours number on it, and it's a switchboard that's manned by the person on call. And I tell them that, that exactly that. Someone on call that have access to all the records. This could be a card you could give him to the local emergency room doctor. So it, uh, I think that there's no harm at all asking your physician how they handle it. This is something all doctors' offices have some method, method for. It's part of our workflow. So, uh, again, be proactive. And, uh, and if Ms. Flynn or uh, Dr. Fleischman wants to weigh in, by all means, uh, with this or any other question. Anyone else want to add to this? Since yeah, I just m yes. my chart is is associated with one brand of medical record. There are similar things that are called <laughs> by a different name, but where you can type in a message to uh, the provider's office. Often, uh, people generally check that very regularly, but it's not, for, as Dr. Wong says, for an emergency. But there are different brands of these systems. Thank you, Dr. Fletcher. Excellent. Excellent. And um, our... Um, So our next question is uh, for uh, Dr. Fleischman. Um, uh, um, and uh, that question is, um, so the um, from one of our online participants, if you could say a bit more about um, how much time the telehealth visits often last. Oh, that, that's a, a good question, but I'm not sure it has one answer. Um, if it's your very first visit, and I know um, myself and colleagues have been doing some of the background work from a, an initial consultation in telehealth. So um, that could last anywhere from a half hour to an hour, but it's not the sum total of your first visit. That's just the beginning part. So that would be a little bit of getting to know you, um, collecting a lot of information, um, particularly about, you know, uh, what symptoms you had, what tests were done, who did them, as well as some personal and family history about um, what illnesses you've had before and um, perhaps asking questions about family history. Has someone in your family had a certain type of cancer? Uh, how, well, when was that? What do you know about their treatment? Um, so the the obviously the physical exam part can't be done, but all that other information can be collected for a first visit. If it's a follow-up visit, that could be from um, you know ten minutes to an hour, depending upon the complexity of the problem. Excellent. So that might be good. For, do people usually ask that up front, or how does that um, 
usually evolve? I, I think for a, a first visit, uh, people are often told, you know, the the uh, the uh, time uh, time frame. But if it's a follow up, that's something a bit more unpredictable. Um, it's kind of like when you're in the doctor's office, uh, when the provider walks in, or whether it's doctor, the advanced practice nurse, uh, whoever. I, I don't want to. I don't want to leave anybody out. But whoever uh, sees you in person. Um, you don't know if they're going to be with you for five minutes or 45 minutes. So it, that can often depend upon the nature of the visit and what needs to be done. Excellent. Thank you. And um, a question for um, Ms. Flynn. If I have a very unstable Internet or a situation at home that doesn't allow for a quiet place to talk, how can I figure this out with my care team? Oh, that's a great question. And with kids being home, um, doing school online, with people being online doing their jobs, it becomes harder and harder um, to find a quiet area. And then that sometimes can lead to unstable Internet. Um, and so you might have a drop call. So um, key things that I try um, – you know your household better than anybody. So is there a better time to schedule appointments? Would that be earlier in the day, lunchtime, or later in the evening? Um, and I would try and schedule appointments when the house is a little bit quieter. Um, what I've had some of my patients do um, is they've gone into their vehicle and they've actually done their their telehealth visit with me on FaceTime um, or like that um, kind of application, and we've had a conversation that way. Um, now, I don't recommend that for all appointments, um, especially if, you know, you have a rash or something that you want to show me. That's, that's not the type of appointment um, that I want you to do in your car. Um, but it is a quiet place sometimes. Sometimes your restroom in your household is a quiet place that you can, you know, tell everybody I need, you know, half hour um, just just to be here um, for this appointment. Um, if your uh, internet is unstable, um, sometimes a friend's house might be more stable if you feel comfortable going there. Um, you can always pick up the phone, whether that's a landline or a cell phone too, and just have an audio appointment. Um, if neither of those, if, if those situations don't work out, maybe that's the time to transfer over to an in-person um, appointment. If um, you're just really struggling with, um, you know, the internet at your house or um, you know your cell phone coverage. One thing that I do recommend for telehealth appointments is to make sure that whatever device you're using is fully charged um, and, and double check that a half hour before your appointment. Another thing that I recommend is if this call gets dropped, who's going to call who? Um, sometimes, you know, I'm calling you, you're calling me, and we don't get through because we're each calling each other. Um, so know what the backup plan is if the appointment, um, maybe, you know, the hospital Wi-Fi can, can be glitchy too sometimes. Um, so know that plan um, uh, ahead of time. So thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Good, excellent. Uh, good question. Good, great answer. Okay, thank you. So good team here. Good questions today. Um, and so um, another question, um, and this one is for Dr. Wong. How can I keep track of pain and or side effects in a useful, organized way? Great question. This is, uh, uh, there are lots of ways to approach this. For uh, a formal assessment, if you uh, like, uh, like in our pain service here at MD Anderson, they actually hand you little cards that have smiley faces, and the idea is not to make it more complicated than it has, right? So we have a scale of smiley faces or not smiley faces, and you can sort of track that. I think writing down is important because, uh, in documenting, because these are things that, uh, who wants to remember pain? Honestly, this is one of our. Uh, self-defense mechanisms. In the moment the pain's gone, you say, thank God that's behind me. So writing it down is an attempt to sort of uh, formally document it. Um, in people who are in clinical trials, you'll receive diaries and things like that, but I can't tell you the number of patients who come uh, with uh, some variation of a little notebook with uh, columns in it and writing it down. And of course, uh, in my practice, I happen to have a bunch of uh, engineers. We're, we're in Houston, so, you know, 
that's close to a whole bunch of folks who work at NASA and engineers, and those guys <laughs> come with, uh, I hope they're not listening, but if you are, I admire you. You come with Excel spreadsheets uh, uh, with uh, 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 graphing out the symptoms. So it, it, it is use a mechanism that fits you and your personality and, and the way you do things. And, uh, but the most important thing is to try to document, because oftentimes uh, recalling a symptom, especially pain, we're naturally programmed not to go back and revisit painful things, is, uh, becomes murky and, un and unpredictable. I, on my hand, sometimes will track by calling pharmacies and ask how often they refill their pain medication to get a sense of how much is being used. Uh, but nothing is better than having you directly tell me what's going on and us collaborating to find a new strategy moving forward. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Dr. Fleischman, so here's a question. Um, what are the trade-offs as well as the benefits um, of telehealth, telemedicine? Well, the, the trade-off is what Dr. Wong said. So much of our communication is by expression and body language and how we're sitting and how comfortable or uncomfortable that we seem despite what we say or what's been said. Um, that's can be missed, and that can be misperceived uh, both by the provider and by the patient on this. That would be oh, one thing. The inability to have um, uh, the parts of physical exam that need um, a touch uh, are, are a limitation. There are um, devices that are being used uh, just barely now in the United States, but have been used in other countries for years a little thing that comes in the mail that uh, for those of you who have um, a cell phone uh, can be plugged in. I'm not sure which brands it covers and which doesn't, but you, it, it can amplify your heart sounds, your breathing, um, has a, a little a light and a camera. You can actually have the provider look down your throat. <laughs> uh, um, it's really amazing. It's still not like being in the office. Um, I haven't found any devices that can uh, feel a tummy <laughs> or um, a variety of things that really need touch. But, uh, you know, we always have to weigh this against the danger of having low resistance from chemo radiation during cancer treatment and being in a place where you're likely to catch COVID-19. Um, despite all the precautions. So it's, it's a real balance, and it's, it's a hard call sometimes. Excellent. Thank you. And, um, and for Ms. Flynn, um, I'm still confused about how to navigate the technology for my telehealth appointments. Without going to the doctor's office, what can I do? So it might be easiest if you um, initially take your device to the doctor's office. For, the, for a telehealth check, um, you can try um, over the phone, um, make an appointment, and then um, ask your provider if they have what we call here the, the tech check, where they do kind of a dry run of um, the appointment to make sure that your link is working to access the appointment, um, that the provider is able to see and hear you, and you're able to see and hear him or her. Um, that's one option is to make an appointment and um, ask if you can have a tech check. The other one is... Um, to actually bring your device in um, with your provider to make sure everything's working. I know that requires a visit in, in person. Um, and the third option might be if you have a tech-savvy person um, in your family that could help you with that tech check appointment before your um, actual appointment. Um, but, you know, pa the panelists, um, Dr. Fleshman, Dr. Wong, might have other suggestions. Well, thank you, Sharon. That's excellent to Ms. Flynn. And, and other suggestions? Anyone else? Um? I think those are creative solutions. Well done. Thank you. Well, I'm, I, I want to thank our participants for asking such great questions. Um, I also want to thank our speakers f for responding to those questions. And I also want to ask each of our speakers, in order that they spoke, to just give each of you a takeaway point from today's program, um, just to provide um, 
uh, you know, just something you'd like people to remember about today's program. So I'm going to start with Dr. Wong. Just um, what you'd like people to remember. Yeah, very simple. Document, write it down, and uh, communicate in a way that makes sense to you. You're the boss. Excellent. Wow. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Dr. Fleischman? Sure. I I think uh, the most valuable thing is to think about the visit the day or two days before the visit, especially a Monday morning visit. Think of it on Thursday afternoon or Friday. And if you're unsure about what's going to happen, reach out to the office on Friday so that um, by the time your visit comes, then you'll be prepared and the technology will be as best as it can. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. And Ms. Flynn? And I would say have a list of your medications, of any conditions that you have in addition to your cancer. And um, uh, just to to reiterate what um, Drs. Wong and Fleshman said, um, write down your questions. That's so important to have your top three questions walking into that appointment and to take notes. Excellent. Wow. Thank you. Now, I want to thank, again, everyone, and I also want to recognize that I know many of you had a chance to ask a question, but there are many of you who did not, we did not, were not able to get to your question. So uh, this is what I suggest. For those of you who asked a question, and for those of you who didn't get to ask a question, I want you to go back to your treating healthcare team and ask the question again. For those who asked the question or those who didn't get to ask the question, or someone who was listening and hearing things and learned something, take it back to your healthcare team and see how all of this applies to their practice, to you and your your telehealth visits with them, telemedicine visits with them. So be sure that that you know that you check back with your healthcare team because they actually know you best and can probably give you some also some additional help with that. So we never want to sidestep your healthcare team in any way. We hope this information helps you, but we also want you to know that you have, of course, a healthcare team. And that team consists of many other, I think we've mentioned that today, many other disciplines on that team who can be of help to you. Um, so if you're, no matter what the issue is that you're struggling with, your, your physician may be the best person, but if the question is one that the physician will refer you to perhaps a, a patient navigator, a nurse navigator, an oncology social worker, a pain team, so all these different financial experts, so all these different things that you can access in your own institution, people often forget about the fact that um, that's really important to consider as well. With that all being said, um, I want to thank you all for your participation today. We're hoping that this method of telehealth, telemedicine appointments really does enable all of you to kind of keep in touch with your healthcare team, even if it's just pick up the phone and call them and say, I have a question, I need to talk. You know, those you really need to be connected. That's very important. And I think we, I think you've heard many say on the call today that um, don't assume that your healthcare team know what's on your mind. You need to tell them, of course, always. Um, if you feel something, I think this has come up in a number of our programs, if you feel something, say something to your healthcare team about what it is that's troubling you. That's really important as well. Um, so, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.